Grand final. Grand final. Gotta have me my grand final. I just hope the ump is fair. I just hope the ump is fair. Were they fair? Mostly. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. This is Buddy Franklin. This is the greatest showman. Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. From inside the centre square. If you got that reference, that is an amazing deep cut, and I really appreciate it. Which is why we are not going to explain it at all. And it will be tough to Google this one and come up with what it is. Yeah, which makes it even better. With that, welcome to the nicest episode of Americans Watching the Footy for this whole season, because it's the 69th episode of season two. Yes, episode 141 overall. I am Ethan Castle, coming to you from South San Francisco, California. I am Benjamin Castle, coming to you from South San Francisco, California. Less than the recommended COVID distance away from Ethan. We're gonna kill Grandma! Uh, Mark McGowan would probably say so, but he's out of power now, so who the fuck cares? Brian Harambe is also right here, by the way. He's, uh, is he sleeping or just, he's just kind of chilling right here. Yeah, he's just vibing. Yeah, literally just vibing. And he's actually kind of sporting premiership colors, considering the black stripes. Wow, spoilers. Oh, sorry. I, I'd like to imagine there's someone out there that, like, their only knowledge of footy is just through listening to our show. Like, it's it's too bad we aren't doing this on a ham radio, because someone would tune in for, like, the middle of fucking nowhere and listen to this and become, like, a huge fan only going off of our analysis. Mongolia? Eh. You know what? Nah, it's, it's probably somewhere authoritarian where they haven't caught on to us yet and they haven't banned us. Like, um, stunning and beautiful Turkmenistan. Yeah, I feel like that would make a lot of sense, actually. I would be very unsurprised. Well, also, I've got a feeling that, like, Turkmenistan, from, like, some diplomatic incident, maybe even back from before the Soviet Union dissolved, have, like, all Australian media outlets banned for some stupid reason. What does ban mean? But something weird like that, but now that we've mentioned them, they'll probably find us out. So, uh, well, the, well, the thing with Turkmenistan, you know, a lot of the population's nomadic. A lot probably don't have internet access, but I could see someone with a ham radio just chilling out in, you know, middle of the desert in Turkmenistan listening. Hi, Serdar. We need to get onto ham radio, clearly. Now I'm just thinking about the, um, what is it, the, the Coitin Spicky Wampers? Yes, 70 flump to 40 flab. I do not believe the time is 26 Railroad as we are recording this, though. So, Friday night, yeah, we went to the... Watch party in San Francisco. Yeah, the Golden Gate Australian Football Club, the Ruse and Iron Maidens. They're heading off to nationals in Florida in a couple weeks' time, but great atmosphere again. A few hundred there. Sold out watch party at one of the bars over there downtown in San Francisco, Buzzworks. And actually, one of our followers was there, so it was nice to meet Cameron, a Brisbane Lions fan. Now that I've experienced two proper grand final days, I have some observations about the day itself and the events that go with it. I still would totally be down with it being a nighttime thing, but 
having like the parade and up there because Alien the Sunshine is pretty cool. And I think it's cool to just like if you walk out on the weather, which most of the time they've had pretty good weather. And it was particularly hot for this one. I think it was the fourth hottest grand final on record or something like that. It was around 84 degrees Fahrenheit. But yeah, having everyone in the sun, you know, it kind of signals the end of winter. So I, I down with that. Again, scheduling-wise, selfishly, I wouldn't mind it being later. I think it would be tougher then, though, especially here in the United States, to have, like, real great watch parties for it, though. I mean, the game's starting at 9.30 our time. Perfect for a bar crowd. That That is true. Something particularly to appreciate for us here in the Pacific time zone. I might have mentioned before how much I like having the big concert pregame instead of at halftime. I mean, it, it seems obvious if you're putting the game first, well, not literally obviously but kind of prioritizing the game over the other entertainment aspects you don't disrupt the flow of the game with a big halftime show that takes way too long to get set up and torn down the super bowl halftime show extends the actual halftime by kind of what it kind of triples it i would say maybe goes toward quadrupling i, I think about triple because normal nfl halftime is 12 minutes so you know for the biggest game of the year they triple it yeah um for, uh, I guess this time we hope to see Ush Bucks falling from the ceiling because it's going to be Usher. That would be fantastic. But yeah, the grand final pregame entertainment instead of halftime being so big is great. Like, seems like halftime, they just keep it to a local act. I don't think it went over nearly as well this year. Not the sort of music you'd expect for the event. Maybe not someone who was really able to play a big stage like that. I think Kiss did fine, though. Yeah, it would be hard to stop what Robbie Williams did last year, and it was a little more obvious that they were lip syncing, but it seemed like, at, at the same time, though, like, for most of those shows, it's just the lead vocals that are actually live. I think that's what the case is for the Super Bowl, and just some acts sell it better than others. It wasn't, like, ridiculously obvious for Kiss, like, their guitars were properly plugged in, unlike the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they appeared with Bruno Mars at the Super Bowl. But yeah, the general consensus was giving this, like, I don't know, like 8 out of 10, which I think that's about what I'd give it. You know, I've noticed over the last decade, the list of pregame acts has gotten really impressive, which it used to be just, you know, someone who was big in Australia. And lately, it's been much more of a worldwide act, which I think is really cool and a great way of selling the game. If the league actually takes advantage of that, which I mean, they are great on. But now that you have an American raised premiership player for the first time, they've got to take advantage of that avenue, right? They should. So here's the thing. Speaking of selling the game, Footy was actually discussed on a baseball podcast that I listened to, Baseball Barbacast. Their producer is Australian. He's a Carlton fan. He was talking about the win over Melbourne a couple weeks ago because that had happened like, I don't know, 90 minutes before they had to record or something. The hosts who are American made a good point. You know, Australia has this crazy game that they did a really crappy job of exporting because like the rest of the world really doesn't know shit about it. You know, I hope to help export the game better, and hopefully having bigger and bigger performers can also do that. Or just have Scotty Pippen, who was also at the NRL Grand Final. Yeah, Scotty Pippen and Luke Longley were both at the AFL Grand Final. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge was sitting with Nick Natanui. What a great random pairing. Oh, it's a pairing I did not know I needed at all, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Here's a thought, and I've seen this from various people online. Would it be better, instead of having, like, awkward halftime entertainment, instead you have the parade of retirees and award winners at halftime? Like what they did for Buddy and Sydney. That went so well. I get that. I mean, also you'll have, like, 
much closer to a full house for it. You know, people will obviously exit their seats at halftime, some of them, but I feel like that would get a more positive reaction than having kind of a secondary musical performance. And it seemed like Mark Seymour or The Undertow were a, a bit of an awkward choice of the kind of music they have in the first place. You know, you need a certain act that's able to fill up a 100,000-seat stadium and not make it seem forced. It didn't seem forced with Kiss. It didn't seem forced with Robbie Williams last year. There's definitely like a level of, of stage presence that you need to have that I think a band like Kiss definitely has. Oh, and and the other difference is, you know, you need to be able to to fill it in that, that short time slot. What I've said about Coldplay before, considering they did the Super Bowl 50 halftime show here in the Bay Area and being the Coldplay fan that I am, give them two hours, they'll put on a great show every time. Give them 12 minutes, it's not really enough for them to build things up. So you need to strike a good balance between hits, stage presence, and somebody who will just kind of punch the viewers in the face right away. I want to talk a little bit more about another musical thing, though. I want to talk more about Up There Kazali. You mentioned it briefly, but just like, I love it. And a bunch of us in the bar were singing along to it as well, which was awesome. Pretty good split, by the way, between American and Australian natives. Yeah, it was fun mix. But my, my whole thing here is that it's such a fun, unique tradition to have, you know, this iconic song that's like a national cultural artifact that's sung every year before the game. And that it's still the original guy doing it, too. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, we don't really have an American equivalent of that, except for, like, I mean, for any sport. Yeah, the closest I could think of, I wouldn't sing the seventh inning stretch and take me out to the ballgame, because that's every game, not just one. The, the best thing I could come up with is one shining moment for March Madness. So at the end of the NCAA tournament, after the championship, after all the ceremonies and stuff. This is like leading into the official post-game coverage where they cut away from like the main broadcast group. They added with a montage every year to Luther Vandross's one shining moment. They've had a couple of other covers of it sometimes, but you, but I like that usually they go back to the original, which kind of reminds me of like the New Year's Eve thing with Imagine, which is just such an overplayed song, but there are others that are more overplayed. My take on New Year's Eve, by the way, Instead of Imagine, I listen to a song that starts pretty much the same way. Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. Well, that, that's a good one. It's, anyway, it's way better. But like, well, what's the idea for your, your equivalent? So I was thinking like the Super Bowl should have its own version. And at first I thought Mr. Touchdown USA. But the thing with Mr. Touchdown USA is it's only like six lines. So even if you sang it twice and had like a big solo in the middle, it's like a 90 second to two minute thing talk. It also feels more like a college song as well. So I'm not sure how well it would fit on the pro stage. I mean, there are only two NFL teams that actually have marching bands anymore. Actually, they're pretty close to each other. The Ravens and the Commanders. Football team. They're still football team to me. God damn it. So I thought about this for a while, and I think I came up with the solution. Are you familiar with a rapper by the name of Bone Crusher? vaguely what is the track i should remember have you ever heard of a track called never scared don't think this is gonna work well on madden 2004 never scared is on the soundtrack but it's got football lyrics instead of the typical ones i do not remember this at all let me find we'll include a link to it even in the description yeah found a few different versions of it on youtube if you just look up never scared madden remix you can find it and it's got 
famous lines like, we made the field goal, everybody get hyped. And I think that this would just be the absolute perfect song. And it would be really funny if, you know how, like, Mike Brady's, what, like, 80 or so? Aha, se- just looked it up, 75. I would love to see Bone Crusher, who's, at the time of recording, 52. I'd love to see him do that at age 75. I did not remember this Madden remix at all. Did they, like, play it before the Super Bowl in those games, or? No, it was just on the soundtrack. Okay. And I think it would be the absolute perfect song for this. So I am going to ride this really hard. Giggity. Giggity. And yeah, this everyone needs to know the existence of this song. I think every high school team should blast it. I, w- I would really love it if this caught on. So that's that's my big pregame festivity take. My biggest thing is, yeah, use those acts for promotion of the game to wherever they're from, especially to an American audience. And also just move the parade to halftime, I think. No, nah, I'm fine with it being pregame. Just have nothing at halftime then? Or, or do you have a sprint at halftime then? That's an idea. Congratulations, Max Holmes winning by six meters. I like that they were all wearing like Santa pants. It looked like they were wearing like Cole's sweatpants or something because Cole's went back to sponsoring it. Thank goodness they didn't do like the weird arc like last year because Colgate sponsored it. Even though they should have had to brush their teeth while doing it. Even though Hugo won it last year, I think. Didn't Hugo win it? Uh, Yes. So I've been happy with the winner the last couple of years. Fuck, how did Ned Moyle do this time? I have no idea other than who won. We need like full results. Let me just take a look at this quickly. I've got it here. I don't think he made it out of this heat, actually. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that was not close at all. Just looking back at it here. He was celebrating probably five, six meters before the line. Uh, Second was Jackson Pryor from Brisbane. And hard to tell who got third from where the camera was on this one. But yeah, congrats, Holmes. Uh, Running amok on a day where Collingwood's playing a big game again. I want to talk about one other pregame thing. Just first off, I love the tradition of the team going all the take the photo right after they run out. It, it also isn't super disruptive. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. It's like a very quick thing where you kind of like if if you're playing, it's, you know, you come out, you're all hyped and you have this moment like, oh, yeah, this is different. This isn't what we normally do before a game. And it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't interrupt things for too long. So I'm I'm down with that. I'm also down with how Collingwood were just so relaxed and they were just I think they were actually watching they had the concert on TV in their rooms. Yeah, I thought once I saw that, like, oh, fuck, they're going to win this by 90. Uh, Well, there was another thing that should have cued us into the inevitability of them winning. But we didn't know about that until the post-game presentation. Craig McRae got busy nine months ago. Yeah, and fittingly, the kid's name is Maggie. She was born at 7.45 a.m. And something like, what, 10 hours later, he was lifting the cup? Was he in the hospital for it? I, he must have been. At you that hour, I think. You don't miss that. Yeah, at that hour, that would make sense. And also, I think he pulled off the greatest flex of all the next day when he attended the Brisbane Lions 20th anniversary of their 2003 flag. Like, hi, I just beat your side. Let's celebrate something from all those years ago. I, I like it. I think it's fun. And again, we talked last time about, you know, how many players from that game, both of the 2 and 3 grand finals, went on to have notable post-footy careers, whether it's coaching or media. There's an, another insane thing out of that. But yeah, I thought Collingwood were going to win this game by a lot. Just looking at seeing like they were just chilling, watching the concert. They seemed like 
this great mix of loose and confident, whereas Brisbane, they didn't look scared. They just looked like what you'd normally expect of a team in a game of this situation. Whereas like sometimes there are teams where you can tell just reading their faces like, oh, they are not ready for this. They are about to get fucked. That was not the situation at all here. But like the level of confidence that Collingwood came out with, I thought they were just going to run them over. And I'm glad that we got such a good game. Again, not the outcome I wanted. There are a lot of things to be happy about still. Again, Mason, yep. even though it wasn't his best game missed, a couple shots that you'd expect him to hit with uh, between just not following through on a set shot and then another close range opportunity. But he did his part against Big O. America House played its part. Yes. After both of these last couple wins for Collingwood, I uh, echoed Phineas Nigelis Black uh, from the end of Deathly Hallows, or his portrait anyway, um, by posting, And let it be noted that America House played its part. Let our contribution not be forgotten. Really disappointed they didn't include that in the movie. Well, they they didn't even go to the headmaster's office at the end of Deathly Hallows, right? They they for part two they just kind of made their own ending on a bridge, I think, from what I remember. Yeah, that would have been a fun one to see, especially because the other thing I remember is another headmaster's portrait waving his ear trumpet. Hey, it was Dexter Fortescue. Anyway. The things that I liked about this, one, it was a close game. I mean, the closest since the 2010 draw. Reminder of the final scoreline, Collingwood 12-18-90, defeating the Brisbane Lions 13-8-86. The closest final with a winner since 2006, the one-pointer there. Two, obviously happy for Mason, but also Bobby Hill, who won the Norm Smith. Surprising that he did it unanimously, even with Collingwood winning. I love it. They actually got the right guy. No, I mean, they've got the right guy a decent amount recently. I'd, I'd say you could split hairs between Isaac Smith and Patrick Dangerfield last year. Petraka was the clear one in 21. Dusty was obvious in 2020. But for them to get it right when there was like a decent group that could get votes, I I'm very happy with. My ballot would have gone Hill 3, Kadeen Coleman 2, Tom Mitchell 1. So in other words, Jude Bolton's ballot? Yep. This... Came out so much better than the Brownlow voting. Like, um, they paid attention to all parts of the ground. Also, um, the fact that only three ballots featured Kadeen Coleman, even after a Collingwood win, feels kind of wrong. Yeah, that's a great for me, but it's a minor one. Yeah, I mean, I get it that, that you want to award it to someone on the winning team. The yeah. last player to win the Norm Smith medal on the losing team was actually the one who handed it out this year, Chris Judd, back in 05 for that narrow Swans win, but... He got his revenge the next year. Other guy who didn't get any votes that I think deserves some credit because Nick Dacos, Scott Pendlebury, and Jack Crisp also received votes. Guy that I think deserves a bit of an honorable mention is Hugh McCluggage. We said in our grand final preview that had the Lions won, we would have expected McCluggage to be the Norm Smith medalist. I mean, it seems pretty obvious now that it would have been Kadeen or maybe Joe Danaher had he kicked another one to win it. I think Danaher could have beaten them all out had he kicked another Danaher had a bad miss that could have cut it to one with like 13 and a half minutes left. That that would have been big. I know what you're going to say next, though. It's talking about the goals at the end of quarters. Yes. Now, Collingwood outscored Brisbane 12 to one across the final seconds of each of the first three quarters. The Lincoln McCarthy missing the end of the third. Tough shot. Can't fault him. The Jack Crisp goal to give Collingwood the lead going into halftime. Can't get mad over. It was a great shot from 55. It was the end of the first quarter. Well, that was just unacceptable. If you had to circle 
the one sequence that costs you this game, you circle that. Now, look, there's a thousand different things you could change in a tight game like this. And it's nice that we can go back and circle a bunch of pivotal moments, but this is the one that was just indefensible. It wasn't as much a skill error as it was a mental error. We weren't the only ones there at the bar saying that Brisbane should just shut it down for these final minutes of the first quarter. Not even the or, final, or really, really the final, like, 50 seconds or so, or however long it was. It wasn't even that. It felt like a lot less, where they were just... Well, they you had an open man on the wing. They also, they had a chance to, to get out. Then Collingwood had a rebound. So that was really that first opportunity. It was after the Rainer intercept mark with about 34 seconds left going back and looking at it. Why do you kick to the corridor there? I, I mean, I, stupid. I, I get that you're an aggressive team and you like your chances at getting a quick counter most of the time. But in a quarter where the ball had lived in Collingwood's forward half or so much of the time, you'd be pretty lucky to be going into a quarter time down four. Instead, he bit off more than he could chew. And Isaac Quinter set up Jordan to go. And if there's, and look, if there are any two people that you don't want kicking bombs in any setting for Collingwood, it would probably be Dugowie and Crisp, with Mayacek maybe being third. I don't know, something like that. I mean, we've seen to oh, we do it. We've seen Dugowie and Crisp do it before. Difference is they actually won this game. I believe we had ten lead changes, including four in the second quarter and two in the fourth. Was it quite your typical one goal game? Not entirely, because Collingwood scored the back-to-back goals in 45 seconds with the dumb Jared Berry 50. And he, I believe, conceded both of Brisbane's 50s for the game. And I can't be mad about either call. However, the 50 that was given to Oleg Markov, like, even Brisbane fans will admit, yeah, that was horseshit. Yeah. Um, And Brisbane could have easily given up another 50, leading up to the goal of the finals from Zach Bailey when he got around Nathan Murphy before snapping. Bailey smothered Mason Cox on a free kick, and I thought that he was far too close to act on that, and that should have been 50. Seems like people are pretty divided on that one. On the deserve to win a meter, I would say, what, Collingwood, 85%? I don't know if I'd go that high, but after looking that they won inside 50s, 57 to 43, I, I would say... I don't know, in the 60-70% range, I guess. Also looking at the scoring shots, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that for a lot of the first quarter, they were really dominant and couldn't put it up on the scoreboard, and that's one of the reasons the Lions were never really out of it. They could have gotten buried early, or they could have at least been down a few goals. But my other thing was that it's it's been this way for a lot of the year. Brisbane had the better players. Collingwood had the better team. And the way they closed out the first three quarters was such a great sign of that. Like, they were so well-prepared for every conceivable situation. And it was also their play style that that ended up being the dominant one in the game, really keeping the numbers in the corridor, forcing Brisbane outside, forcing them to be slower than they'd like, and also hardly allowing any marks inside 50. And that was even with Nathan Murphy going out concussed. We found out after the game, Murphy had actually ruled himself out. It takes a lot of self-awareness to do that in a game of that magnitude. He couldn't clearly see Craig McRae in the quarter-time huddle. That was what did it for him. And that obviously forced a lot of defensive changes for them. Darcy Moore ended up having much more of a one-on-one job on Joe Danaher. Still managed to do well there. When that matchup, you know, was the way they wanted to be. Because I, I noticed a couple times when Danaher managed to get free was on different opponents. I think one of the times was on Hoskin Elliott, of all people. Yeah, that seemed like a bad matchup. Uh, speaking of bad matchups, I still think not having Jack Payne in was a big mistake. Ryan Lester has been used a lot for kind of 
overlap or for like long overlap kicks, which is an interesting role. But really, between Lester and Brandon Starsevich, the two of them ended up kind of splitting time between Jamie Elliott and Bobby Hill. Yeah, it that didn't work. You know who should have been on Hill the entire game because he did well on him later? Brandon Starsevich. I uh, I'm I'm. I don't know. Hill won enough on him early on. Starsvich was the one over whom he took the mark of the finals. Yes. Let me let me just we have an obvious goal of the round, mark of the round, and I think for the entire final series, not just because it was in the grand final, but we'll wrap that all up as we kind of do the housekeeping stuff at the end. Housekeeping, go away. I come in anyway? No, go away. I come in anyway. Okay, um I think now would be a good time for us to take our break, yeah? I feel like we're probably roughly around a halfway point. If not, I think we might be more than halfway. All right, yeah, let's uh, let's break and uh, be back in a second, I guess. I don't know. We'll see if the ad roll goes properly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I know we've actually gained some more followers in the past week or so, just going up to the grand final, talking to some more Americans as well. If you aren't following us yet on other social media, we're there. Americans Footy on Twitter, same handle on YouTube, our personal handles on Twitter, BenjaminHK01 for me, Castle Media for me. Go to Instagram and check out Grian if you haven't. I've actually been posting stuff there lately. Did Grian make a tip for the grand final? No, we haven't done that since 2021. I should do that again. Well, he also was wrong then. Yeah. You know that, Ryan? You were wrong. I don't think he's even listening. He's just sleeping. So just kind of picking up with the grand final discussion here. Awkward to go to a break in the middle of a game, but when it's the only one, kind of required. Speaking of awkward, gotta be really weird to have your grand final dinner after a loss. I, that's a strange tradition to me. That like, no matter what happens, your team has their dinner after. I like what the Lions did, though, on uh, Sunday and Monday, like a separate Victorian fan day at the Fitzroy Oval. Yeah. And then at uh, their headquarters for Monday. I think that's right. Also, having a, a fan day, like, win or lose is interesting, because, like, the American equivalent is just, you know, both teams, you know, they have plans for, like, a parade or something, but you never, you know, the teams that lose, maybe people welcome to the airport if they, like, had a really great year exceeding expectations. Yeah, um, it seems like something that, that does happen in Australia, though. Uh, a fan day, regardless of result. Don't know if the Broncos did it as well. Yeah, um, not a great weekend for football across multiple codes in Brisbane and Queensland in general, because I think also the Titans lost the NRLW Grand Final to the Jets. Amazing that we were treated to such great Grand Finals in both the AFL and NRL, by the way. I was not able to watch the NRL Grand Final live, but I believe we have it recorded, so I will actually go back and watch. Yeah, um, again, I also am still, like, a few episodes behind on Bounce that I'm going to catch up on. Yeah, I mean, we got a bit of time for that now. I'd say that my, my football code preference goes Australian rules, American, rugby union, soccer, rugby league. I don't know, it gets fuzzy after the first couple. But I've been really enjoying the the Rugby World Cup from France. 
I, I know uh, you guys love League, but Union is way better, I'm sorry, just like as an overall type of game. I also got to see some pretty high-level rugby in college as well, which would probably um, influenced my taste toward Union. But regardless, just great grand final week in Australia, and I envy the few people that managed to be at both of those, like apparently Scotty Pippen. Yeah, I kind of love that. I, don't, I wonder how much he actually was aware of and understood, but like whether or not he has a profound understanding, I think it's just good that he's there and that the game's being shown to more people. Like The LA Kings had a lot of fun, and I think they made a few new Collingwood fans out of their experience at the prelim. Did they meet Mason? I mean, I, I guess Anjay Kobitar probably had to for at least a little bit because I think Mason dropped the puck in one of the games. Yes, which Kings player looks the most like a footy player? Ooh. I just am automatically thinking Drew Doughty because of the hair. Let me see. Let me look through, like, their roster, and I will try to come up with a conclusion for that because I really haven't thought of that. I know that Andre Kopitar looks the most like a raccoon. I mean, he's just got, like, the really sunken eyes and stuff. Let's see. Out of their really recognizable players, I would say Doughty. Yeah, probably. Of less recognizable? Hmm. Yeah, I think... I think Dowdy, let's see, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov kind of looks like a tall defender. Dim Talbot could pull it off, too. Dowdy looks like, I don't know, he looks like he could be a lot of positions. You know who I didn't see at all during the grand final, and if I had had a bingo card, would have been a really unfortunate one to not fill in? Who did we miss? Magpie Jesus. Oh, yeah. I don't think we saw him at all. I'm sure if he was there, the cameras would have caught him, right? I would think so, yeah, considering just how many different people they cut to. I mean, obviously, you had the the league leaders there with the prime minister. You had a bunch of other notable people from Australia and elsewhere, as we talked about. So the other actual game stuff. So I, I just want to say, really being able to take in a game super intently without pausing to take notes or anything, I got a lot out of it. And maybe I need to do that more often. Um, it was nice really having very few other distractions, like a couple of high school football games I was checking scores on early on, and that was about it. I mean, those ended by at the latest, like, 10.30. Most by 10. I've had a habit of going to really long high school games lately, but... Yeah, you see, like, one nearly three-hour game and one actually three-hour game. When it's, it's been a lot. Yeah, and, I mean, high school games, you know, they stop the clock for first downs, moving the chains. The average high school game is, like, I don't know, two hours, 20 minutes. I was gonna say, the other thing, I'm not sure if... You know, Australians are aware, but high school football, the quarters are 12 minutes in length rather than 15. I also just like how consistent it is that, like, footy games are a consistent length, usually like two hours 40 or so. Unless you have something really weird happen, like the lights going out or somebody kicking their thousandth goal. I don't know if I've mentioned this. Oh, shit. What would happen if somebody kicked their hundredth goal of the season in a grand final? Shit wouldn't be lit. But what I was thinking of more is just now that we're not going to have you know, 100 goal kickers or 1,000 goal kickers any time in the foreseeable future, we think. I think that you should get the treatment if you kick 10 in a game. So you think they should have run on for, for Tex and for Carno this year? Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what other achievements they could have done. I mean, I was surprised nobody ran on the Oval earlier this year when Pendlebury broke the disposal record. That was also, like, something that could have happened so anticlimactically. It's like, imagine if you had a basketball version of that. You know, like a guy hitting X amount of career points and everyone runs on the court and it's just like... I mean, they stop they stop the game for Steph breaking the threes okay, record. But, but imagine if it's just like, you know, for X amount of career points and 
The guy just, you know, it's a random free throw with like six and a half minutes left in the second quarter. The more anticlimactic, the better. Yeah, I mean, they did stop the game, though, when Stephen Curry broke the three-point record, when LeBron James broke the regular season scoring record. The other thing, by the way, why is it that in American sports, they do not count postseason games toward any all-time records at all? That's one other thing I really appreciate about record-keeping across Australian yeah, sports. Yeah, I'm fine with not counting it towards, like, single-season stats, but it should count to career stats. Like, what would Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman streak have been had they even had they included postseason games? Because it was 2,632 consecutive regular season games. Yeah, Barry Bonds would have had 771 homers. So I'm, I think that's one of the stupidest things. This was Scott Pendlebury's 383rd game, 49 away from tying and 50 from breaking Brent Harvey's record. He's an outside chance to get it very, very outside basically can't miss a game and has to play at least two finals each of these next couple years in all likelihood. There's a world in which it happens, though, and he can play for a long, long time. Considering the fourth quarter he had, I would say so. I think it was 11 disposals at a time where the team needed him most. It was the veterans really showing up in the fourth. I mean, the the 2010 Premiership veterans in Pendlebury and Steele side bottom, side bottom with the game ceiling goal from 56. What the fuck? Of anybody to kick from that length side bottom? Yeah, I did not see that. No, I did not see that coming at all. 13 years between the flags, by the way, that is a VFL-AFL record. And I was surprised to find out that Pendlebury hadn't kicked a grand final goal before. And this is his fifth grand final because of the uh, 2010 replay, in which he won the Norm Smith. 383 also blows another record out of the water, which is most games before kicking your first grand final goal. Some fun stat research in this game. I mean, I mean, fun stuff from Swamp in particular. Only the second grand final in which the winner has kicked fewer goals. The other was Carlton over Essendon in 1968. Also, Collingwood 16 flag. They're tied with Carlton and Essendon. I hope they do something to make fun of that trophy circle. Like, when you're playing against a team with no flags, you should do a circle of your 16. It was also their 1600th all-time VFL and AFL win, which is pretty amazing timing. That That's an incredible coincidence. Collingwood's three finals win by a combined 12 points. That is the lowest margin ever for a team to win three finals. And four is the lowest average margin for a premiership team in three plus finals games. I mean, in 1977, North had to play five finals. I, I would be shocked. And I, I said this last year, but I really think now that they've gotten there, I don't think Collingwood do this next year in similar fashion. I think they could totally go back to back, but more good, less lucky, fewer close games. Like some of the luck in close games has to turn around eventually, even though I think they are really built for close games and they obviously practice all of these scenarios very, very well. I'm wondering also thinking about that close game stuff that works so well. Did they intentionally take that 666 warning leading to a ball up, better opportunity for Mason Cox, maybe? and then leading to that instant response from Jordan Degoe. Definitely possible. I'm not sure. That's totally possible. Other observations I have before we get into stats and stuff. Uh, I really watch Nick Dacos pretty closely because, you know, people talk about him so much. What I think was the most impressive thing about him, even though he's not a guy that, you know, gets into a ton of contests because he's usually getting the ball uncontested more, his speed with the ball... And the creativity and ability, like, he had a really good soccer along the wing at one point. It, it was, I remember that. Was, yeah, are, are you thinking about the double soccer that led to the Maya check mark in the goal sequence? Might have been. He also had a couple of spin moves that were pretty clever. And it's just like, 
it's honestly, there are a lot of soccer skills on display there. Man, all this talk about soccer skills and no Josh Rochelle in the grand final. Ooh, you know what I realized? Hardly anyone ever really does like the Siu celebration, funny. Oh, like the, the Ronaldo spin and thing. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah, the Siu thing. Yeah. <laughs> Grind looked at me after that. Um, Dacos still got exposed a little bit defensively. I think Jared Berry really got him once. The skill, though, and, and the kind of creativity, the thinking on the run is undeniable. Yeah, my, my hot calling would take is they will not be this type of team next year. Either they take a step back or they just beat teams more thoroughly. I feel like in a lot of ways, this was kind of the end of the mission for a lot of stuff. You know, like repay, fly, things like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come back pretty strong next year. I don't think they're going to fall off that much. Although, I mean, there are some older pieces here. Pendle Breeze, side bottom. Tom Mitchell was excellent. Showed was his best game in two months. Shut down Lockie Neal for a good portion of the game. Neal was limited to just 21 disposals, I believe. Mitchell kept him to three in the first quarter and, and was the pressure leader all game for Collingwood. By the way, Graham Wright, their general manager, totally, I mean, I wouldn't say vindicated, but just kind of he was proven very right with his trade acquisitions. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bobby Hill winning the Norm Smith, Tom Mitchell getting votes and probably should have pulled higher. And the last guy on the list, Oleg Markov, also being a premiership player. I love that for Mad Monday, he wore his like one day worn Carlton training gear. Yes, that was excellent. That said, this Mad Monday, nowhere near as good as Geelong's last year. I mean, Mason Cox finding a dinosaur suit that fit. That's impressive, but I still think he could have done something better. I don't know what. Could have done something really dirty with his last name. Uh, he probably thought about that. I I bet we'll get insight on his next episode. Yes, I was, I'm hoping that they do a live from Mad Monday episode of the Mason Cox show. Doubt it. We haven't really eulogized uh, Brisbane Lions in this. I guess we, sh we can kind of do that. Yeah, let's let's eulogize both these teams. Yeah, Um. this, by the way, the only time the Lions have put up a better performance at the G in the last three seasons was the final they actually won there last year. I thought they played... A really solid game. They just facing a team that will exploit even the smallest mistakes and doing things like the way they ended the first quarter. That's just that's just not going to work. Actually, before we eulogize these teams, let's just run through the uh, staff leaders for this game. Never did that. Oh yeah, let's. Uh... So Nick Dacos game high twenty nine disposals. Jack Crisp two goals one behind twenty five disposals seven marks. Jeremy Howe, 24 disposals, 9 marks, 591 meters. How amazing is it, considering how his season began, that he's there as a premiership player at the end of it? I mean, there was thought that he might have ended up just retiring after that injury, and apparently he played through this with three broken ribs, so there's that as well. I think that premiership medal will make up for all of the uh, mark of the year medals that he's probably missed out on. Tom Mitchell, 24 disposals, 13 tackles, 7 clearances, 2 goal assists. Again, best he's played in month. Pendlebury, goal off, 24 disposals. Side bottom, a goal off, 20 with 7 tackles. Jordan Degoe, 2 goals, 18 disposals. Bobby Hill, 4 goals, 2 behinds, 18 disposals, 8 marks, the Norm Smith medal. Also, had a chance for a 5th going around the corner, and instead surprised pretty much everybody watching this game everywhere by instead kicking to Scott Pendlebury, who was wide open. Speaking of around the corner, Jack Ginman, he had this one where he went for a snap where he would have been way better off with a drop punt. It ended up short. That was like the one 
decision that Collingwood made all game that I didn't quite agree with. Uh, Jamie Elliott, a behind, 14 disposals, seven marks, though. Uh, team stats, let's see. Collingwood outscored Brisbane 27-3 on scores from outside 50. Let's see. Uh, Dugowie, crisp, side bottom? Dugowie again and side bottom, I think. Got it. Inside 50s, 57-43. to 43. Collingwood, I think they got that margin more early. Uh, hit outs, 50-32 to 32 for the Pies, though. Brisbane did have a slight advantage in clearances. Uh, turnovers, Brisbane only 60, Collingwood only 49. It's it's hard to lose when you only commit 49 turnovers. Uh, marks inside 50 were 12 to 5 for Collingwood, and tackles for the game, 73 to 53, including 13 to 6 inside 50. Kadeen Coleman with a behind from 26 disposals, 8 marks and 761 meters. I believe he came into this game averaging 16.6 disposals. We saw between the prelim and the first half of his grand final, the best six quarters of his career. I think he would have been a candidate for finals MVP. It sounds like it's going to Sam Walsh, the what's it called award? The the Gary Ayers. That's the one, yes. Both played very well in their three games, and obviously Colin will get a bit of a boost from the extra 50% for the grand final votes. Josh Dunkley with a behind from 21 disposals. Good battle with Jordan Dugowie all day. That was also the same line that Lockheed Neal had, but again, Mitchell won that matchup. Hugh McCluggage kicked two goals from 21 disposals, 12 contested possessions, and three assists. Again, we are very surprised that he did not end up in the Norm Smith voting himself. And also, you know, that goes against the trend of him getting 20 and the Lions winning. So there's that. Harris Andrews, 16 disposals, nine marks, and eight intercepts. Worked out a lot of that late. Billy Frampton had basically a neutralizing role on him. Frampton with very minimal touches, but limited Andrews enough that it impacted the result. Sure, say what you want about Frampton being worst on ground. I think it's funny when you get something like that, you know, player who really doesn't contribute all that much to the winning team. And the nice thing is, if you're Billy Frampton, you could laugh about it because, you know, you won. Joe Danaher, 3-1 from 16 disposals, 9 contested possessions, and 8 marks. He was the only capable mark for Brisbane in the 450. Oscar McInerney, 28 hitouts, 13 disposals, and 10 clearances. I'm surprised that we didn't see a Ruckman goal on either side from this game. I did not realize he had 10 clearances. I know he had a few hitouts to advantage, but he tends to get a decent amount of clearances for a Ruck. I mean, it's really been him and Kieran Bricks this season who have gotten the most on their own. So that doesn't really surprise me. So I guess now, yeah, we should go into this sort of Brisbane Lions eulogy here. Finally made the grand final for the first time under Chris Fagan. He's the oldest coach. He's the oldest head coach in grand final history was... I think 62, which compared to coaches in other sports is really not that old. I mean, how old's Nick Saban? He's cracked 70 now. Yeah, he uh, turns 72 on Halloween. Bill Belichick is 71. But I had the Lions winning the flag over the D's this year. They ended up, despite their struggles away from the GABA, especially at the G, having a damn good year. Or did I have them over the Swans? I think I had them over the D's and then... I don't know. Either way, I definitely had Brisbane winning. I think I did too. And they came damn close. Things that surprised me about them, you know, Daniel Rich falling off before his retirement. Uh, Jack Gunston had one awesome game. It was right after his father's death they yeah. had those. And that's, that was about it. And, and then he got hurt. Jack Payne emerging as this great one-on-one defender and then not making it back in for the grand final. Yes, Collingwood don't have as much of a sort of tall threat in the forward line, it still surprises me. 
And especially with how some of those one-on-ones turn out, I will continue to question it. Payne's still got a lot of time ahead of him. He's still just 23. In a game that close, you wonder if a decision like that could have done it. I mean, considering a couple occasions, even with Stosovich and Lester going up against Bobby Hill, even then that's a, you know something you look at there with any of those defensive matchups. But it'll be tough to fit in Payne and Gardner next year, but Ryan Lester's getting up there in age. He's been a leader for a long time between the AFL and VFL levels and got more consistent time this year, but I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. Still, though, this is a team that's in the right age range to make another run, and you could potentially get Will Ashcroft back late next season. Good first season for Jasper Fletcher as well, although I'm surprised he wasn't the one subbed off in the grand final, and it was Cal Achi instead. I thought that Achi could have been kept in to help clog up the wing a bit, where Collingwood were doing a good job clogging the middle of the ground. Maybe Achi could have stayed a bit more of a presence on the outside. Yeah, it wasn't his best game, but I still would have kept him in. I came to the conclusion in this game that Cam Rayner is definitely my favorite lion. Just having really watched him since 2020, seeing him overcome the injury, seeing how many different parts of the ground he can play in. Yeah, he was set back a decent amount for this game. There was one time, obviously, where it very much backfired. Yeah, but I I like him. I think if I had to pick, I haven't really thought about on some teams, like, who's my favorite player, but I think he definitely is my favorite lion. Uh, with, with all due respect to Charlie Cameron, who is awesome. With all due respect to Zach Bailey. Yeah, I think I got to go with Rayner. I got to try to figure out favorite players on every team. We need to figure this out as well, and it can't be the same person. We've got to claim our own. I feel like there might be a couple where we default like to, I don't know, Sheasel, uh, Oscar Allen. Tuke Miller. Nope, sorry. I That's actually, I got a better one there. Who is it for Gold Coast then? Mac Andrew. Oh, of course. Um, Before that, though, it was definitely Tuke. Um, because I think we did a thing last year where we, or like before this season, where we just went out and named our favorite player in each position. And that was something that I think the, maybe the Fox footy or seven AFL account tweeted out. And I know we agreed on Kazi and Mason. I would say like easily Zach Bailey with just the different types of kicks that he can pull off. But he also does like the, like widest, almost vaudeville version of a gritty I have ever seen in that little clip they use for a goal for him. And it's like, how do you do fellow footy players? I feel like that kind of makes it more endearing at times, though. Bailey's close to hitting his prime, too. He's in that right age group as well, which makes this team even more fun. What do they really need to figure out next year, then? Uh, probably still a little bit more with defensive reinforcements and make sure to keep patching holes with spots where guys are a little older. Really haven't heard about much from them in trade talks yet. Obviously, part of it was because they were still playing. Yeah, that's kind of a significant reason. Over the next couple of weeks, though, we'll see if anybody is on the move. I mean, we think Devin Robertson could be heading to the Eagles, which I would be a fan of. Again, we think that he should just have his jumper tattooed on him. Who was it who had the jumper? Was it Charlie? It was Charlie. Yeah, it was Braden Maynard and Nathan Murphy combined to do that. I lost my multi on that. I, I, I backed on Robertson being the first one with a ripped jumper again. I don't want to put a cap on how many more years these lines have in their premiership window because we've also yet to see the full potential of their younger side between Ashcroft getting hurt, his brother Levi coming in soon. I, he played in the other 17s game earlier in the day. James Tun still is super young. He's he's from the West, but haven't heard anything about him coming home. But yeah, there's, I think, it'll, you know, maybe this team, like, I feel like a lot would have to go wrong for them to not crack the eight in the next few years. I think the Lions at least playing finals is something that we should be able to count on, barring like, 
a ridiculously bad string of injuries. They'll still have enough of a, an advantage at the GABA, where they had a perfect season for the first time ever this year. 13-0. I thought at some point they were bound to lose one, and I thought it would have been too fitting for it to happen in finals. So, especially when they started out down 31-1 to in the prelim. I think despite them losing this game and losing it in frustrating fashion, they can't come out of this like with the reputation as chokers or something. I think they got beat. And sounded like, from what I read, the reactions like from their rooms after seemed pretty level-headed. Guys, you know, disappointed, but not like broken. You know, Neil definitely took it hard. Fagan seemed upset, but most of the guys actually like, seemed to just take things in a stride. I think there was probably a feeling of like, yeah, this was, you know, we faced a better team and it was just their year. That's that's my guess, whether or not anyone actually like synthesized that. That, that seems right, though. Yeah, I... I can't be disappointed in, and I can't really expect a premiership hangover, again, because we expect them to make finals. You know, even if they're week one outs in finals next year, I can't call that a hangover. We all, we thought we had a premiership hangover this year for the Swans. Turned out they were just banged up. Yeah. Good time now before we move on to Colin Wood really wrapping this up, talking about our sleepers for the year. I was pretty spot on with mine. Even at his older age, Ryan Lester had a real role to play in this team. He'd been the next man up in defense for a while and played 19 games this year, which is the most he's played in a season since 2018. His nickname is Froggy. I forget from what that originates, but I believe he has a frog tattoo now. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad his nickname isn't Mo. Yeah. Had his highest disposal average since 2018 as well. Averaged a little over 14 for the year. Most of that obviously kicks. Still had that overlapping long kick role. I found him a really interesting player from that. Picked him up in fantasy at one point just because you see him kicking so much from defense. Wasn't the best one-on-one player, obviously. Got exposed a couple times in the grand final. He turns 31 at the end of August, so he has a, a couple years left in him still, and I'll be keen on seeing how the Lions decide to use him and manage him as they're trying to get more games into Jack Payne. See if Darcy Gardner keeps more of a spot next year after what he did in the prelim in the grand final. So I just find Lester to be in a really interesting spot. Mine was Harry Shark, because I didn't want to go with, like, Will Ashcroft and a couple of others. Uh, So I kind of had to get creative. Uh, Played in three games, scored two goals. They won all three. Those were rounds eight through ten. He got subbed off in round ten, which was Hugh Clash, and that's all we saw of him. But he did have a 17-disposal performance against Essendon, uh, tough to crack that list. Very tough at the spot where he was this year in. The FL was pretty reliable performer as well. Didn't get hurt, it seems. Played throughout the season. And at age 20, there's still plenty to come from him. Uh, Collywood, I mean, they they won the whole thing. They did it. Uh, the Collywobbles are officially dead. Sad day. I, I wanted to experience it properly. Well, now that they've actually won one in September, we can officially say it's dead because that hadn't happened since 58. Yeah. I think it was the, the Kick to Kick podcast. They like tweeted out their explanation of it and like saying like they made a deal with the devil to win in 58. And then the devil said, once your year as premiers is up because it's the 63rd year of the VFL, you won't be successful in September again for another 63. 63 years after 59, 2022. First year after the curse was over, they won it. So kick to kick, you might be onto something there. I know some people were confused about the selection of Darcy Moore as captain at first. Uh, that has worked out 
better than, well, there's only really one other captain selection that I could even say went like that well recently. And that's Toby. Toby, um, it, Toby Green and Darcy Moore in the same sentence and not like because they played against each other. Uh, Darcy Moore gives the best speeches ever. You know, the rest of the players clearly really respect and enjoy him. I, he made mention of, of past players as well who did, who weren't able to see success saying like, you know, it's an honor to carry on the legacy you've left. Seriously, this guy, he, he probably writes his own stuff and that makes it more impressive. And I would imagine that once his playing career is done, the major parties try to procure his services. I'm not sure what the Mad Monday costume was. It was something involving a bow and arrow. I mean, looked a little Legolas-like. I'm not sure. Don't know, but he should have done Lucius Malfoy, and he didn't. Oh, I mean, he. we were mentioning it on the walk back from, from the bar to the car. Just like, this is the most Lucius Malfoy-like that Darcy Moore has ever looked. He needs to just do the line, if it rains, you'll be the first to know. That's like all I need. Darcy Moore needs to meet Jason Isaacs and or Tom Felton, doesn't he? Also, the fact that Darcy Moore's father, Peter, was the one to hand the cup was pretty special, especially because Peter didn't see premiership success in his own career. It would make sense if, like, you know, the cup was handed over by the CEO, but this also works. I, I really like it. I like that the team is able to nominate. Had it not been Darcy Moore as captain, you know, there were a couple other options there, like Nick Maxwell, their previous premiership captain, or... Simon Prestigiacomo, who ruled himself out of that grand final replay. Maybe we'll see that in the next couple of years when they make their next grand final. But I'm always in favor of trophies being handed to players instead of owners. Oh, I, I love how they do that. They hand it to the captain and the coach. Yeah. Or like, I guess it would be co-captains if there were two of them, because that's what we saw with Penrith and the NRL, with uh, Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yeo. Uh, sleeper picks for Collingwood. Mine was Josh Carmichael, who just to me, always seemed like the next person up in the midfield. Could have gone with a couple people there. Carmichael was one. Trent Bianco was another. Carmichael made a grand total of one appearance this year. He was a sub in the round three win against Richmond and garnered two disposals and a tackle. In the VFL, he had a couple really big games. Again, tough midfield to crack. Similar pick kind of for you with Harry Sharp and, and me with Carmichael. Although he's a bit older, he's 23, so we'll be 24 by the time the next season starts. There will be spots for him, though, if he sticks around in the next couple years. I, I don't see him getting delisted. And No, definitely not. Maybe trade. But with Pendlebury and Sidebottom and Mitchell all being on the older end, like, guys will get managed and he'll have his time. I mean, but especially with this group from Collinwood, it, it makes sense that he'll have the time. Pendlebury's 35, Sidebottom's 32, Mitchell is 30. So if he sticks around, the opportunities will present themselves. Although I must mention he is from South Australia. He was a West Adelaide player, midseason pick in 2022. So I don't know, is his contract up then? Yeah, it is. But I mean, he's not a free agent by any means. So I, I would expect he sticks around. Mine was Reef McGinnis, who was the sub a lot earlier in the year. Versatile tall. He got into five games. Uh, was subbed in three times, subbed out once. The only game he played all of was King's Birthday. Just another one where on a lot of teams he would have much more of an opportunity. Great problem to have. He's only 20. It's a reminder that they have a lot of depth that they didn't have to tap into all that often this year. And that's one of the scariest parts about this Collingwood team going ahead into next year. Looking at McInnes' VFL performances, scored pretty consistently at the end of the year, actually. So another piece to... Leave around there. 
In their last three games, he kicked 11-3 against Geelong, Southport, and then Richmond in the wild card. Yeah, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, he should be. And with McGinnis still developing, Ash Johnson getting hurt and maybe missing out on selection in the grand final because of that, they may not have players who are overwhelmingly tall, but they have strong enough marks and kicks to sustain them. I mean, Ash Johnson, we saw some of the wizardry he had last year. And he also was a Mark of the Year nominee this year. Uh, speaking of Mark and Goal of the Year, we have Mark and Goal of the Round and of Finals. I think they're both pretty obvious. He had Bobby Hill's hanger on Brandon Starcevich's shoulder. I guess you'd call him more of a sitter than a hanger. Yeah. Uh, sitter's used in different ways, though, in Australia. That's really to describe, um, kind of a gimme of a goal or something like that. Oh. But yeah, I get why you'd call it that. And the goal, obviously, Bailey's second. Yeah, that's kind of a no-brainer. I am seriously so excited for Zach Bailey's continued development. He just turned 24, has already kicked 121 goals in 118 games, career high of six. I think that came in the first Q clash last year against the Suns. Oh yeah, by the way, we never mentioned Bobby Hill. That was his first four-goal game, which is kind of insane. I mean, honestly, it kind of makes sense, though, considering he was always the secondary small target behind Toby Green. Still, it's... You would have thought at some point. Between Toby Green, Brett Daniels in there, not entirely surprising. In fact, this grand final is only the fifth game where he'd even kicked three goals for his career. One of them was his debut. The other four of them were this year. That's really hard to believe. Bobby Hill fully unlocked after battling cancer last year, which makes it all the more remarkable. The chemo clearly made him stronger. I don't want to use the, the Kelly Clarkson thing here, but it, it stands out. No! And um, that's the season. That's the men's season. Definitely we'll keep watching the women's games. I know the Eagles actually ended up getting a win over Port, so I imagine there was a great parade leading to Mineral Resources Park. No, there wasn't. They were slamming car doors in the streets of Perth. Burswater, Laughing Letter, wherever the um wherever the actual stadium is. But regardless, we'll keep watching the women's game, getting more and more into that. Also for American audiences, it is a really nice way to get more acclimated to the game, happens at a bit of a slower pace, field a bit less congested. So we'll definitely keep promoting the women's game to our friends and to our listeners here. It's not on the Fox Sports channels here as frequently. Yeah, and I'm just not going to have as much time because sometimes I have to do this thing called, like, having a job. Yeah, and his and with the writing stuff he has, it usually takes up his later nights. Yeah, so I won't be able to do that quite as much, but I'll... I'll be around. And and obviously grateful that the season's going to get extended, the pay's going to rise. It'll feel more like a proper professional league as it continues to grow. I will have more of a plan for off-season content this year. We won't be, you know, twice a week. It'll probably be, I don't know, once every two or so weeks, but we definitely have a couple of interview guests we want to get on. Yeah, um, also- we have a couple of fun features that I want to do, you know, so like best player by each jersey number in the last season. I think we've gotten pretty far on that. We might have... Well, I guess we'll need to solidify our choices for that pretty soon. Um, Something we could talk about off the air pretty soon. Obviously, we'll have updates during the trade period, the free agency. I think I want to do what the, the Cespedes Barbacast guys do, and I want you to be completely out of the loop and offline for the final day of trades. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. I'm, I'm already looking forward to that. Yeah, and then definitely we'll be getting some interviews and features in the works with friends from both here in the States and in Australia. Don't want to mention any names yet, both for the element of surprise and just because things haven't been finalized yet, but they will be. 
a few final reflections as we wrap this up. Last year we did, we like fact checked every club song. Not going to do that again, but I will say Collingwood definitely stuck together. It was not a cakewalk, but they totally stuck together. So that part fit. And I guess they know how to play the game. Yeah. Um, honestly, as much as, you know, it's Collingwood, I, I like this group of players for the most part. And if they weren't Collingwood and they were the, the, uh, the Darwin Darwinians or the Darwin Beagles or the Eucla middle of nowheres, I think this would be like a very easy team to enjoy. It's like how sometimes the Boston Red Sox have had like some actually very likable non shit head players. It's like just you're the Red Sox. So I can't. But overall, I know people aren't happy with umpiring altogether. I know there was stuff over that advantage call late in the game, which I had no issue with. I mean, I didn't even notice at the time. It seemed like, yeah, advantage. Go ahead. I, I didn't think anything of it. That's why we didn't spend more time talking about it. Yes, it was highlighted because it was late, but I didn't think it was the most objectionable call. Again, I think it was the, the quick 50 that was given to Markov or against Markov rather. But I think overall, the game is in a really, really good place right now. And it's even with a few things that need to be fine-tuned, I have so much more fun watching this than any other sport for so many different reasons, and Grand Final Day is such a great celebration of that. And I'm looking forward to the day when we can actually get over there for some games, meet the people we've been talking to from across the Pacific Ocean. We're looking at our summer, Australian winter of 2025 for that to happen. I have one final question for you, because I've been thinking about this, and I don't necessarily have an answer. Who did Collingwood open the 2024 season against? I feel like we open with Richmond Carlton, and then the next night, Collingwood will probably do a flag thing and host who? I don't think it's going to be Brisbane, because they'll play in Brisbane on Holy Thursday again, in all likelihood. It, I think it could be Geelong. I would like the idea of it being a finals rematch, but if it's a double up with Melbourne... I would not think that you get it over with by King's birthday. Yeah. And so I think, honestly, the best pick is having the last two premiership teams go at it. Or it's not the Giants. God, I, I would be so down with it. But yeah, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you open the season with them again. Maybe maybe it's the Bulldogs, though. If you're looking to maximize the crowds, I would say Collingwood Geelong round one. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. So watch for it to be the exact same schedule Thursday and Friday night again this year. Um, this is not our season finale. That'll be whatever our last episode of the calendar year is. No, no, it'll be whatever, whenever we feel like it. Yeah, because basically like our season debut is, um, would that be like the first of the previews or no? We just did it by, by the calendar year last year. Okay, well, maybe we'll end up doing something like that again. I'm not really sure. We got a long way to go, though. It'll be after the fixture release for next year, though. We know that. But this all season, we'll just actually have a chance to just talk more about non-game things that give you a bit more insight on how we view the sport from our weird American perspective. So looking forward to that. Reminder again to follow us at Americans Footy on Twitter and YouTube. I am at Castle Media. I'm at BenjaminHK01. Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatNameBrian. And with that, we're gone. Thank you.